Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the final chapter of the story of Noah, and we'll be discussing the famous story of the Tower of Babel. If you didn't catch last week's episode on the story of the flood in Genesis 6 through 9, go ahead and give that a listen as well. We are in Genesis chapters 9 through 11 if you're following along at home. Thanks for reading the Bible with us. It's great to have you along for this journey through Scripture. Today on the Bible Readers Podcast, we're going to discuss the final chapter of the early world era of salvation history. There are 12 eras of salvation history seen in Scripture, and Genesis 1 through 11 constitutes the early world era. So far in our story, we have heard about creation, where God makes Adam and Eve in his own image and places them in the Garden of Eden. We've seen the story of the fall and Cain and Abel. We discussed the genealogies descending from Cain and Seth. And last week, we discussed the story of the flood, but we didn't quite finish the story. You see, the story of Noah is a story of re-creation. God undoes his initial work of creation and essentially starts over. And after the flood, there seems to be kind of a new Garden of Eden that Noah finds. And in many ways, what God tells Noah after the flood mirrors what God says to Adam and Eve after he creates them. However, sin is still crouching at the door, and the story of Noah ends in dark sin. This is a good time for a small disclaimer, if you're listening with small children, that this story contains some more mature material. The Bible is not a sanitized document. It recounts many acts of grave sin, and we're always going to discuss those parts of Scripture respectfully, but they can be fairly disturbing. So if you're listening with children, you might want to listen to this on your own first to determine if this is a story that's age-appropriate for them. With that said, let's discuss this final chapter of the story of Noah. So, Noah has three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Noah has planted a vineyard and made wine. Remember now the parallels that I mentioned with the story of the Garden of Eden. Noah is tending the earth just as Adam did. He's made a covenant with God just as Adam did. And he has a divine mandate to be fruitful and multiply just like Adam. So we're going to see sin crouching at the door to Noah's garden, just as it did with Adam and Cain earlier. Noah drinks from his vineyard and is drunk and goes into his tent. Let me read what happens next. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it upon both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a slave of slaves shall he be to his brothers. On the surface, this seems like merely an embarrassing situation. Noah is drunk and naked in his tent. Ham walks in, is surprised, walks back out, tells his brothers about it, 
and his brothers cover up their father with a blanket. When Noah wakes up, he curses Ham and his son Canaan. But I think there's more to, to this story than just that, however. The phrase to uncover the nakedness of your father is actually a Hebrew idiom that refers to incestuous rape of the father's wife. Now, there's some debate about whether this is exactly what the author means, but if it is, we can certainly see why Noah curses Ham and Ham's son, Canaan, who would have been the illegitimate son of this perverse act. Notice the motifs present in this story. Fruit, nakedness, shame, all staples of the story of the fall. You see, after the flood, the problem of sin still remains. And as we can see with the sin of Ham, it remains in a dark and disturbing way. The flood has punished sinners, but it has not solved sin. Sin crouches at the door still and continually creeps in. So, Noah curses Ham. And in chapter 10... There's another lengthy genealogy of Noah's three sons. This passage is sometimes called the Table of Nations because it depicts all of the nations that the later people of Israel are going to encounter. And what is interesting is that if you look at the sons of Ham, the nations that are born to him become the leading enemies of Israel later on. Look at some of them in verse 6. Cush. Egypt, and Canaan. All of them become historic enemies of the people of Israel. So why is this here? Why another lengthy genealogy following the sons of Noah? What is the author trying to do by attributing all of these warring nations of Israel, with Israel with Ham? And I think the answer is twofold. First, the author is associating other nations who do not worship Yahweh with the sin of Ham. But secondly, I think that the author is presenting to the people of Israel a picture of their enemies that paints them as family. It's like the author is saying, hey, hey Israel, the, the people that you're constantly warring with and disputing with in the beginning... They were a part of the family of God. And that family has been torn apart and splintered by the effects of sin. I, I like to situate this story within the entirety of the early world narrative. God has made creation and started a family. And he has made Adam and Eve who bear his image since they are his children. And because of sin, that family has descended further and further away from communion with God. The world that God made good is now corrupted. And the cleansing of the flood has not served to cleanse the hearts of mankind. And now that family will splinter more and more. That leads us to the story of the Tower of Babel. Let me read this passage to you in Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Note a few details that people often miss. Where are they? The land of Shinar. This land is actually mentioned in Genesis 10.10, and it's where the descendants of Ham dwell. So we know who we're dealing with then, the children of Ham, and the author expects us to associate these people with the sin of Ham. Now, why do they build the tower? It's not that they want to reach heaven, as you might have heard before. Note that they, say, that they say they will build a tower with its top in the heavens. This just means that they want to build a high tower in the sky, not that they actually want to reach God in heaven. Instead, the key statement is that they wish to make a name for themselves. Remember earlier when we discussed the genealogies of Seth and Cain, that Seth and his line calls upon the name of the Lord, while the line of Cain makes a name for themselves. The author is referring back to that as the descendants of Ham are like the descendants of Cain. They do not call upon the name of the Lord or wish to carry on the family name of God. Instead, they wish to make a name for themselves. And the last time this happened, it led to extreme multiplication of sin in the world and the great flood. So God confuses their languages and they are scattered over the earth. What we see here is the final chapter in the early world era. And it completes the story of the splintering of the family of God. That family, which was in the beginning in harmony with him and in harmony with each other, is now fractured seemingly beyond repair. How will God bring his children back to himself? How will sin be conquered in the heart of man? These are some of the questions that the author of Genesis leaves us with as we end the first era of salvation history. The era of the patriarchs will provide a solution to these problems, and that's what we'll be discussing soon. If you're interested in learning more about the story, please visit our website at thebiblereaderspodcast.com. A new episode of the Bible Readers Podcast is released every Monday. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Dr. Matthew Sakonikis of Christendom College to discuss his thoughts on the early world era. So be sure to tune in for that. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. It greatly helps get our content out to others. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast.